From the Salvation Army, welcome to the Holiness Podcast with Lieutenant Colonel Vern Jewett. In this monthly Bible study, we'll be exploring God's gift of holiness, which is offered to every Christian. To download this month's study guide, visit us at salvationarmysoundcast.org slash holiness. Friends, as I sit in my retirement home in southwest Florida, I am a blessed person. And not only because of the sun, ocean, and Disney. Thanks to the Salvation Army Florida Division, I'm able to share with you about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news for the whole world, but also about the life-empowering, intimate relationship with God that every Christian can experience every day. I want to share just a few things this first message. These podcasts will focus on what the Bible teaches about the holiness of God and about God's plan and provision that his people live holy lives. Each podcast will feature a textual or topical Bible study, often a combination of the two methods. The Salvation Army Statement of Doctrine includes a commitment to the inspiration of the Old and New Testaments by God. In other words, they are God-breathed. It also commits to the sole authority of the Bible over faith and practice, what Christians believe and how they live. The Bible clearly makes these two claims of itself. For me, that is a shout-out to all believers to take out your Bibles and learn more and more. I've been a follower of Jesus and in Christian ministry for most of my life. I believe that the gift of holiness is available to every believer and is central to God's plan for every believer's life. I believe, as Paul prays in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, for those Christians that we can be wholly sanctified and that our whole spirit and soul and body may be preserved blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Salvation Army doctrine asserts that is the privilege of all believers. The theme of this initial broadcast is an important truth. Like salvation and righteousness, holiness is a matter of the heart. Romans 10.10 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Biblically, the heart is the place of the will and our deepest purposes and intentions. I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord. They will be my people and I will be their God, for they will return to me with all their heart. That's Jeremiah 24, 7. And the idea of the heart being holy is found in David's prayer of contrition in Psalms 51.10. Create in me a clean heart or a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Importantly, some of the most poignant and powerful Old Testament references to the new covenant God will make with his people are in terms of of a heart transformation. 
Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27 says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you. In some future studies, we'll explore the reasons why Christians are hesitant or confused or seemingly uninterested in holiness. But I believe that a very common experience, a very common feeling among Christians was voiced by my pastor a couple of years ago. He said in a message, I'm not ready. I'm not equipped. I'm over here and holiness is over there. The greatest misunderstanding we can have about holiness is that it is something we do. When the truth is, it is something we receive as a gift. We'll use many definitions of holiness as we proceed through these studies. Each will help us unpack the rich truths of this wonderful relationship. We want to use a simple one today. Holiness is a living, open connection with God the Holy Spirit in me. It's a connection. That's because holiness is all about relationship. Bill Himes, wonderful salvationist, wrote a little chorus, God in you, God in me, making us all we can be. Created in his image, let us live in his will. God in you, God in me. It's a connection. It's a living connection. This relationship is dynamic, not static. God's will for us is not a blueprint. It's a constant, pervasive, back-and-forth relationship. And it's open. By this, I mean it's transparent. And on our part, it's honest, with all sin confessed, and nothing standing between God and us. Now, the overall goal of this lesson is to remind us of the power of the presence, the indwelling presence of God in us. Holiness is a gift from God. Let's be clear about what that means to Christians. Holiness is not measured by a standard of behavior. A holy person is not one who achieves or attains. A holy person is not one who deserves by his or her goodness to be called holy. Rather, holiness is a matter of the heart. A perfect heart makes a perfect Christian. In summary, for Paul especially, holiness is not an objective standard of behavior. Holiness is being in right relationship with God. I'm holding at this moment in my hand a birthday card that I received in 1985, so it's 34 years old. We had two daughters at the time. Anna was five years old, Sarah was three years old, and it was my birthday, December 11th. 
So they gave me a birthday card. Now, if you could see it, the first thing you would notice, it has season's greetings on the front of it with all kinds of gay Christmas art. When you open it up, you'll see that Anna and Sarah signed it. They each wrote out their name, but they did so not below the message the way most people do. They did it up above the message. Some of the letters are backwards and hard to read. By no means of measurement is this card perfect, except that it is perfect. Not faultless, it is an expression of heart-to-heart love, and it's so perfect that I have kept it for all these years. Now, I would like to lay a little groundwork in this first message. Let's pause for a moment and consider the big picture of holiness in the Bible. Come with me back to the Old Testament. Its picture of holiness is dominated by the holiness of God. And picture with me in your mind Isaiah chapter 6. This is where Isaiah saw the Lord. He's He, the Lord, is seated high on a throne and exalted. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs. Each had six wings. And with two wings they covered their faces. And with two wings they covered their feet. And with two wings they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. This is a holy God. You may remember the reaction of the prophet. He cast himself down and cried out, Woe is me! I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Realizing that God's provision is for us to live holy lives is rooted in His holiness. No one can stand on the floor of the temple with Isaiah and think that holiness is incidental. For that matter, no one can stand at the foot of Mount Sinai and think that holiness is unimportant. And there is much for us to study and learn from the Old Testament about holy living. But things change in the New Testament. Colin Brown, writing in the Dictionary of New Testament Theology, commenting on holiness, notes that with Pentecost and the birth of the church, There is a drastic change. Listen to what he says. When we leave the realm of the Old Testament and enter that of the New Testament, two facts stand out. First, 
God is seldom described as holy. And Christ is only called holy in the same sense as God one time. The concept of holiness in the New Testament is determined rather by the Holy Spirit, the gift of the new age. This is a foundational truth. Holiness is a gift from God. We're especially blessed to have Luke, who wrote two books in the New Testament. His gospel, which is the story of Jesus' life in gospel form, and then the book of Acts, which is the story of the church's early history. Interestingly, he closes the Gospel of Luke and begins the book of Acts with exactly the same story and exactly the same message. Luke 24, verses 45 to 49, records Jesus' last words, the last words he spoke, and then comes his ascension into heaven. He says, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised. Stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. The book of Luke closes, the book of Acts begins, and we're right back at the same scene. Jesus' last words recorded before he ascended into heaven in Acts 1.8, many of you will know by heart, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. Holiness is a gift from God. Jesus said, my father's made a promise to you and he's going to fulfill it. You need to wait until the power comes. And then he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. So the great change from the Old Testament to the New Testament is the Holy Spirit coming to live in us. Just in summary, in the Old Testament, the power and action of the Holy Spirit are connected with extraordinary and abnormal events. The work of the Spirit, for example, occurs in great utterances and visions of the prophets or in manifestations of the splendor of God. But now in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit has become the moving, controlling, upholding power for everyday life and everyday action because the Holy Spirit lives in us. Let's return to our definition of holiness. A living, open connection with God the Holy Spirit in me. It's likely that Galatians 2.20 has come to mind for some of you. It certainly did for me. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. My friend John Needham said recently to a congregation, we can cut out the chit-chat with God. He's right here in our heart. Friends, let's stop for a moment and reflect 
on this incredible invitation to experience the indwelling presence of God. He wants to walk with us in the cool of the day, as he did with Adam and Eve. He wants to lie down with us in green pastures, lead us beside quiet waters, and restore our soul. Jesus said that through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in us, we can live in obedience to God. Then, according to his words in John 14, 23, the Father will come to us and make our home with him. There's a way for us to live that keeps us in right relationship with God while we experience the messiness of life and the fullness of life simultaneously. This is not a vague hope or a pie-in-the-sky promise. It is God in us and with us all the time. In fun times, in times of hard work and stress, in times of pain and tragedy, in times of hilarity, times of tranquility. Dr. Bill Urey says that holiness is always a full frontal confrontation with reality. Paul prays in Ephesians 3 that we may have power to grasp the love of Christ and that we may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. He wants to indwell us, guide and direct our paths, and fill us with his Spirit. Why don't most Christians know and experience this? I believe part of the reason is that the power to live holy lives is not taught and preached with regularity in our congregations, even though it is a pervasive truth in God's Word. I first experienced the impact of this some 30 years ago. I was traveling in the hills of Tennessee. It was a Sunday afternoon, and I was going through the mountains. The car I was driving had only AM radio, and after running through all the channels, I realized I had two choices. I could choose NASCAR, <laughs> or I could choose country preaching. So I chose country preaching. And immediately I came into the middle of this program. The preacher was getting ready to preach, but as we do often in our services, the preacher invited a young lady from his congregation to sing a song. It's a song I had never heard before, and I've never heard since although many people have told me they, they know the song. It was recorded by George Jones. And the song included a phrase that I've never forgotten. The only difference between a sinner and a saint is that one is forgiven and the other ain't. Now, the melodic presentation of that is kind of unforgettable. And if I was more brave, I would uh, sing that little section for you. But you need to be spared that. The words are what's important. The only difference between a sinner and a saint is that one is forgiven and the other ain't. 
Well, I pondered that for a few minutes and the speaker started speaking and bringing the message and something in me resisted that phrase and I concluded quickly in my mind, that is not true. However, the preacher began to expound on the word of God and not surprisingly to me, began to say, now, we know we're going to sin every day. But what's important is that we're forgiven. And that's what makes us different. By that time, I had become very aware that this was not the truth of the gospel being preached in its fullness. I believe the power of the gospel is limited when only part of the story and not the whole story is told. There are many pastors and teachers who assert that we cannot be holy people until the day we die. Even though 1 Peter 1.15 says, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. I hear and read church leaders with regularity say, Of course we're going to sin every day. Even though Romans 6.22 says, But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness. Now, of course, there are issues of doctrine and interpretation we will explore further in the days ahead about the definition of sin and the reality that while there is a state where it is possible not to sin, there is no state where it is impossible to sin. We must choose to relinquish control to God's Spirit in us every day. In these last few minutes, let's be clear about the rest of the story. What happens to us when we are saved? Well, I believe there are two sets of blessings and realities that come with salvation. The first I call objective because they happen outside of ourselves. They include things that we've come to attach uh, doctrinal names to, but you'll recognize them. We are justified. Justification. That's a legal term, which means that we are now counted as righteous. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1.7 introduces a couple of these blessings that take place outside of ourselves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. So we have redemption, we're bought with a price, and Jesus paid the price, and we are forgiven. Certainly that country preacher was right, that we are forgiven, and that country song talks about our sins being forgiven. Another example would be we are adopted into the family of God. Romans 8, 17 says, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. 
All of these things happen at the time of conversion when we accept Jesus into our heart. But they all happen outside of us. We're justified in God's sight. We're redeemed in God's sight. Our sins are forgiven in God's sight. And we're adopted into the family of God. Many people stop there. You will often hear the expression from preachers or the prayer that God would look at us and see us through the blood of Jesus Christ so that our sins are gone and unknown to him. This is, for many people, called positional holiness by virtue of our position in Christ. We are counted as holy. But to stop there is to tell only half the story. That's not the only thing, and those aren't the only benefits that come into our lives when we receive Jesus as our Savior. There are some subjective benefits that happen within us. The Bible says that we are regenerated. That simply means to be born again. John records Jesus teaching us that this was a spiritual birth. As he tells Nicodemus, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And then we are sanctified because the Holy Spirit enters our life. Romans 8.9 says, And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. When we receive Jesus as our Savior, the Holy Spirit enters our lives and brings with him the power to cleanse and purify and sanctify. The result of all this is what we've been talking about, a new power and presence in our lives. It's exactly what Jesus was talking about when he said, God made a promise he's going to keep it. He's going to send his spirit and you're going to have the spirit's power in your life. That old song, Rock of Ages, talks about both of these kinds of benefits. One verse says, be of sin the double cure. Cleanse me from its guilt and power. The guilt of sin is cleansed when we are counted as righteous, when we are saved. But the power of sin is broken when we allow the Holy Spirit to have control of our lives. When I was a little boy, the last phrase was different. We used to sing, be of sin the double cure, save from wrath and keep me pure. But the meaning is the same. We're purchased with a price, we're redeemed, we're saved from the wrath of God because we become his child. But the power to keep us pure is the power of God's Holy Spirit in our lives. Holiness is a matter of the heart. Ezekiel eleven nineteen says, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. It sounds a lot like Ezekiel 36, part of it word for word. 
But he speaks here of giving the Israelites an undivided heart. The natural conclusion is the hearts of Israel were divided. It's obvious that they were. The clue, they were still worshiping idols. The heart of stone speaks of idolatry. But the heart of flesh that is going to be given to them when God gives them his spirit speaks of becoming fully restored in God's image and therefore fully human. How are many Christians today experiencing a divided heart? I believe one way is when God, whose spirit lives in us, is allowed to touch the activities of our lives, maybe like church going and tithing and fellowship, but not touch our heart, our will, our deepest affections and intentions. I want you to meet someone. We're going to keep him anonymous. I can tell you he was a minister who was saved and called to ministry in his late 30s. I was at a conference a few years ago, and he gave his testimony. Here it is. I had always invited change in my life. I felt that God wanted to change me. I was at a point early in my ministry when I was discouraged, ready to quit at times, even quit my faith. I had a recurring dream for several months. I was laying on an operating table, having open-heart surgery without anesthetic, and my arms and legs were strapped in. It was as though people were standing over me, pointing out about my heart. Look at the disease there. Look at all the damage over there. During the days I had this dream over and over, I felt a burning shame, ashamed of my sin. I lived under conviction. Eventually, God said, I'm prepared to give you a heart transplant and to remove the straps from the table. You are ready to do this on your own. And in a church service, he says, I went to the mercy seat, to the altar, and God gave me assurance that I was a different person. Then he reflects on the story, and he says, you might ask, where was the Holy Spirit at that point? I know the Holy Spirit was in my life, but I believe that God, the Holy Spirit, took complete control of my life at that point. Now today, the Holy Spirit is working with me, sometimes severely, but I thank God that he is. He is giving me a new heart. That's the story of one man. But millions of believers have stories much the same, perhaps less dramatic but just as miraculous. Here's another wonderful truth. Holiness is not an experience for only a few. It is for every believer. 
Therefore, we conclude that holiness is the spiritual capacity of the ordinary person, of you and me. Dear friends, it's possible. This is not an experience for elite people. I think immediately of Colossians 1, 28 and 29. Let me read those to you. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect or complete in Christ. Did you notice that it's the work of the church to present everyone perfect in Christ? Friends, the Holy Spirit is present in our lives lives in our hearts. What that means is he must be in control of our heart and our will. Then we can live holy lives. What does it mean to be in control? He must be unbound, unfettered, unrestrained, and uncluttered so that he can fill us with his love and power. Remember, holiness is a matter of the heart. God bless you. See you next time. Thanks so much for listening, and we'd love to hear from you. Share your thoughts, questions, or prayer requests. Visit us at SalvationArmySoundcast.org slash holiness. And if you're enjoying this Bible study, share it with a friend. They can subscribe wherever they get their podcasts.